If you would go ahead and turn to James chapter 1. We were recently in four-week study of the Lord's Prayer, seeing how Jesus prayed. The last week, week number four, we stumbled on to the idea of temptation. Now, we thought about temptation as it relates to Jesus' prayer, where he says, lead us not into temptation. We unpacked that and saw what that means is, is the idea of don't abandon me. Don't give me more than I can bear. And it's the idea that it's not that God would as much as that's the cry of our heart. Now, since we're in temptation, we wanted to unpack that a little bit more. Because one of the keys when it comes to diagnosing temptation is you have to know where it comes from and how it actually works, how it progresses in your life, so that you can identify it, you can react to it, diagnose it. Like a doctor would anticipate what's going to happen, you can actually anticipate, you can know from your own life, where is it that I, tr- I struggle to trust the Lord? What do I need to do to build up my belief in Christ to help my walk? And so it's important that we, we do a little bit of digging here, um, kind of like what happened in 2004. 2004 in Florida, there was a, a coastal community there, a particular family, and if you remember, there was a hurricane that hit near the area. Matter of fact, it was Hurricane Janine. Uh, to the shock of the homeowners, they returned back to their home and they saw something that was sticking out of the ground where their driveway had been. Uh, they didn't know what it was, so they made their way over to it. And as they saw the fins that were sticking out of the ground, not fins as a, a dolphin or some type of animal, but man-made fins, they began to look at it and they realized it was a bomb. There had been a bomb under their driveway all the way back from World War II that apparently it had landed there where they lived was near a place where they would bomb an island off the coast. And there was a uh, what was called Tiny Tim. It had a 500-pound warhead on the front, about 11 feet long. And about six of it had been revealed. They began to realize, we've been living here for years with a bomb under our driveway. This is where we helped our kids learn how to ride bikes. This is where we'd pull in. This is where we did life. They evacuated the entire community. The bomb ordinance crew that came to do it, to uh, look at it, uh, actually said that um, they took it about a half mile away and the individual who detonated it said, dirt shot right up in the air. I felt minimum percussion from it. The bomb was live because he was a half a mile away, but he felt the percussion. Can you imagine that? Why didn't that thing go off? It certainly would have gone off. It was live. Because the pressure that was necessary wasn't applied. But when it was applied, it did go off. And it's just the grace of God that it didn't. But when we think about the idea of temptation, I propose to you that some of you, all of us, have bombs under the driveway of our life. Meaning, if the right pressure is applied, it'll go off. And that's what we talked about last week. We saw that, see, temptation is a neutral word. We can say, uh, don't tempt me with the dessert. That's a neutral thing. It doesn't mean anything until it's put in the context of trusting God. 
See, a trial, a situation, something that points out what's in you, brings out what's in you, some situation that you face, if it's met with faith, it becomes something which you grow through. But if you don't meet it with faith, that temptation moves to a bad thing, trusting yourself. Fundamentally, that's really what it's about. Do we trust God? We trust ourselves. When we face difficulty, a situation, a circumstance, do I trust God or do I trust myself? Now, how that looks is very different in the lives of all of us. So, for example, let's imagine you're a good athlete. Baseball, soccer, football. Some of you were good athletes. Let's let's imagine that. So, if you're put in that situation, do you thank God that he's given you that ability? Or do you say, I did this all by myself? See, when when you're scoring... When you're the hero, if you're an athlete, when you sink the shot, you're put in a circumstance and what's inside of you comes out. You make the shot, people go, you're great. Do you hold on to that? The temptation for vain glory. See how that works in the midst of a situation. If you go, no, I thank the Lord for the way he's wired me. All of a sudden the temptation to take the credit is pushed away and you thank the Lord. Imagine that maybe you're good at school. If you take the credit for that, that situation turns into a temptation. Do I take credit? Do I give credit to the Lord? Give credit to the Lord for enabling you to be the way you are with studies. Now all of a sudden the temptation is where you grow in the Lord. It works throughout our life in all sorts of ways. It can be this. You face melancholy, a situation in which you're down. It can be natural. But then you're down and you start thinking of other people and how their lives are or the way you'd want your life to be. And now that situation moves into a temptation in which I covet what somebody else has. I want what somebody else is experiencing. And you see how that just shifts, that just turns. The temptation is natural. Everybody has different things. But for you, You've uncovered for you that depression, that melancholy is because you have something you don't have and you're depressed. You want to be something that you're not. And you don't meet it with faith that God has made you a certain way. He's given you his identity. You're an image bearer and you don't dwell on that and believe that, but you start believing what other people might be saying about you. Turns into a temptation. When it comes to sexual temptation, you're made as a sexual being. But when we start to look at how do we exercise ourselves outside of the channels in which God has designed us to operate, that's when it becomes bad. So this idea of temptation, it's really important of knowing where it comes from and how it works if we're to get a handle on it. And temptation just brings out what's in us already. That trial situation can either turn into a temptation for the bad or a moment for growing in your trust of the Lord. We live there. And the beauty is you've already sang this morning that nevertheless, not I, but Christ lives in me. In other words, your acceptance by God is not on the basis of whether or not you hit it out of the park every time you face temptation, but on the fact that he's accepted you in Christ now We try to live up and grow in the faith that he's given to us. 
from a position of relationship with him, not a position of performance to get on his good side. So I'm going to ask you uh, to start with me as we begin to think about this. I have some certain questions if you have them in your teaching guide. If you picked one up, you see those. I'd like to start with the end at the very beginning. There's a few questions I'd like you to think about. If we're going to diagnose temptation, we've got to get our hands around one or two in our lives and see how it relates specifically, the text that we're going to walk through, how it relates specifically to that. So the first question I would ask is, where are you most often tempted to distrust the Lord and why? Where is it? Think about it. Could be gossip. Could be coveting. Material possessions. It could be self-identity. I want to be something that I'm not. It could be sexual temptation. Where is it? It's really important. If we're going to get a handle on this, we've got to understand where it comes from and how it works. You've got to identify it. Have it in your mind's eye. You can write it down, hide it from your neighbor, whatever you'd like to do. It's very important. And think about the why. What is it about that car next door that I just absolutely love? I just... I just love that car. Man, if I had that car, what is that? What's going on? Why is it that you think your life would be better if you had that? What about that job? What about that other spouse, that person? What is that? What's going on? You see, you can't just let it alone because what will happen is the storms of life, I've found, will bring things up in your life that you thought were hidden for a long time. Maybe some trauma from your past. Maybe a situation that you faced when you were younger. But what happens is, is the sand is moved away because of those storms. Very often there's a bomb underneath your driveway. But you have to start thinking, okay, diagnosing. Why do I distrust the Lord? Second question. What is the pattern for the temptation you face? This is the word you hear often in this realm. Um, and it works well when I'm talking about a bomb. Uh, what is the trigger? What is the trigger? In your life, have you found that um, I work at an office where people dress a certain way? That's a trigger. I think I prepare myself. Could be uh, visiting a, a family or friend. They got a lot of stuff. That's a trigger for you to cover. You have to recognize that going in. You have to actually take precautions. You have to Build up your trust in the Lord. You have to psych yourself up, almost like going out for a football game. No, I need to remember this and this. This is who God says I am. This is what I feel when I'm around these people and they say this, or I think they think this about me. And you have to actually prosecute that. What's that trigger? Third, what do you think giving into this temptation will provide? Everybody does something for a reason. Uh, philosophy 101, you always do what you want to do. Now, somebody would say, well, wait a minute here. If somebody put a, puts a gun to me and says, give me your wallet, I don't want to give them my wallet. I say, do you give them your wallet? Well, yeah, I give them my wallet. I don't want to get shot. Because you always do what you want to do. I'm not saying that it's ideal, but you do what you want to do. So what is it about giving into this temptation? I know there's some in this room that um, you've given into a certain temptation 
Maybe drinking. Maybe drugs. Tears you up afterwards. Never going to do that again. Get rid of the liquor. Get rid of the drugs. Flush them down the toilet. A little while later, you find yourself there again. Because there's something that you think you get. It's easier to say yes than it is to say no. Why? There's something there. There's something underneath the ground there. Think about it. Why do you struggle to trust God? This is very close to number three. The reason why you want to do it is because you don't trust the Lord. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me. I'm talking to all of us. That's fundamentally what it's about. Why do you struggle to trust the Lord? And I'll say this. That's going to be part of our strategy today. Uh, Because you have to build up your ability to trust the Lord in an area. You find out where that is you struggle to trust the Lord, what you think you get out of it, what the trigger is. And then you say, okay, I've got to know the Lord better in this area. Because if I don't, I'm going to be tempted to not believe him. And that brings us to our last that I want you to think about. Uh, How can you increase your faith to insulate you from temptation? You know what's amazing about this thermos? This thermos is advertised. It's a Stanley thermos uh, made since 1913. It says it'll keep coffee hot for 24 hours. Now, you might have a better thermos, but I think that's impressive. How hot do you think coffee will stay in a ceramic cup? Not very long. Matter of fact, in the research that I've done, not much, but it was enough. And it's amazing. There's a lot of research out there on this, which it's right up there with cows and gas, I think. But coffee will stay hot in a cup for, at the longest, they say 20 minutes. The longest. My experience is about nine. This will keep it 24 hours. I think that's a good analogy. You see, you can be insulated from temptations that come into your life, from the cold of this life, depending on what you're made of. Depending on what you're made of. And you have to know where temptation is coming from, how it works, those questions that we've talked about, and then you find out where is it you don't trust the Lord, and then you insulate yourself, you build yourself up in that truth, because I guarantee you this, If you trust the Lord for that particular area that we've already surfaced, you will not sin. You won't sin in that area. We sin because we trust ourselves. We want what we want. So if you struggle with melancholy, it's because you're not trusting in the Lord in a specific way. I'm not here to throw guilt on you. That's the last thing you want. Somebody's struggling with that. The pastor starts heaping more guilt. No, I'm here to throw you a rope. When it comes to coveting or gossip, the way you run your mouth, you walk away and go, I should never have said that. The reason why you said that is because you don't trust God in some way. So that's why this is important. We're going to get back to that, how exactly that looks. But you by now are in James chapter 1, and we're going to walk through these verses 13 through 16. The first thing we're going to look at is uh, the source of temptation. Let's read the scripture and let's walk through this. This kind of builds right off what we're doing in the Lord's Prayer. It says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. 
Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. So I like to think about this idea, the source of temptation. Because it's really important to get this down. We're going to look at some examples, and one in particular, uh, Adam and Eve. They lost it at this very point. The source of temptation. Where it says, let no one say when he is tempted. Uh, The first thing we have to realize, what we must realize, is the idea of no one can say this. When he says no one, it's really easy to interpret this in the Greek. Do you know what no one means in the Greek? No one, no body, no human could ever say the reason why I do what I do is because that's how God made me. I don't know about you, but I hear a lot of people talking like that. This is how God made me. Maybe you'll remember in 2011, it was not said that way. It wasn't said that The idea of I'm being tempted by God. That's not the way the lyric read. But it was the exact same category. Let me give you the lyrics here. Maybe you'll recognize it. I hope you won't, but maybe you will. My mama told me when I was young, we're all born superstars. She rolled my hair and put my lipstick on in the glass of her boudoir. There's nothing wrong with loving who you are, she said, because he made you perfect, babe. So hold your head up, girl, and you'll go far. Listen to me when I say... I'm beautiful in my way because God makes no mistakes. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Don't hide yourself and regret. Just love yourself and you'll be set. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Depending on what we're talking about, that's not true at all. Were you born with fingers, legs, arms? Yeah, no problem. But notice how the enemy slyly brings into that. Choices you've made, feelings you feel, proclivities that are strong. But you weren't born that way. Now, it doesn't say God is tempting me, God is tempting me, God is tempting me to be like this. It doesn't say that. But boy, I'll tell you, that's what it's talking about. And see, somebody who thinks that, uh, you uh, diagnosing temptation, you're, uh, you're dead before you start. You're hosed. Because here's the thing. If you believe that, now all of a sudden, God's your alibi for your activities. What a great alibi. God made me this way. God approves of me this way. And if you have God on your side, you can demand other people be on your side too. You can say, you should approve of me too. Why? Because God does. And the bottom line is, is James, when he's writing this, there must have been somebody saying that. There had to be somebody saying that for him to talk about it. And he says, that's simply not true. Why is it not true, Dan? Well, it says, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. You see, let's get underneath it. In order for God to tempt somebody, he has to see value in that. In other words, he has to enter into almost partnership with a lack of faith. Because that's really when somebody enters into temptation, it's normal. But the idea of temptation to do evil... In order to do evil, you can't believe what God says is true. Now, would that mean that God doesn't believe what he has said to be true? That makes no sense. That's what James is talking about. That's impossible. He can't tempt people 
in the way of bringing them over to evil because he would have to see a value in it. Now, we've got to ask ourselves a question. People will remember from last week, you might say, well, wait a minute, Dan. I remember you cited some examples. And so when we're thinking what we must realize, it's really important to parse this, to cut this very finely. God doesn't put temptation in anyone. God doesn't give inclinations into anybody. He doesn't kind of like uh, put the gas in the thing you struggle with, whether it's coveting or or greed or uh, gossip or sexual issues. He doesn't do that because he would have to see value in that. He would oppose himself. But God does put you in situations, meaning that this entire world is full of temptation. We bring the drive with us. Genesis 22, God tested Abraham. In other words, he wanted to see what was in Abraham. He wanted Abraham to see what was in him. We talked about this last week. So he puts him in a situation. Abraham, who are you going to trust? Who are you going to believe? Pass the test. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to trust the Father so that when he went to the cross, he could represent you and me. He's never not trusted the Father. But the Spirit led him into that place so that you and I could see what he's made of. 1 Corinthians 10.13 talks about, No temptation has overtaken you, but is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He doesn't put it in you. He puts you in the context so that you learn to trust him over time. And he is faithful to do that because he wants you to grow in your faith, in your trust, in your belief in him that he's the source of your joy. So he puts you in those circumstances incrementally through life so you learn and grow and develop if you know where it comes from and how it works. And again, you're not facing this from a position to get God's love or get a relationship, but because you have, you've trusted in Christ. And now he's nurturing you to live up to the faith you already possess in Christ. We could go on about that, but that's very important to understand. What we must realize, that God is not the one behind it. Now, moving from that, if we ask ourselves, okay, since God is not the one behind it, then who is the one who is behind it? Which moves us into what we must recognize when it comes to this source of temptation. What must we recognize? Pay attention to the sequence here. Verses 14 and 15. But each person is tempted. Now, that's in direct response to verse 13. No one. But he turns each person. So it's almost like a, like a cheer going back and forth. You know, we are winners, yes we do, or whatever this thing, we are winners, yes we do. How about you? And then they yell it back. I have not been in a football game in a while. I clearly needed to write that down. But that's the idea. Yeah, we got spear, yes we do. <laughs> Thank you, Alabama. Second row Alabama fan. <laughs> now there's material running through my head. I got to get back to this. Each person relates to no one. And then notice this. 
lured and enticed. We touched on this last week. I gave you a fantastic uh, mental interpretation of what a fish thinks about when he sees a lure. But that's what it is. It's a, a lure, something unique. This temptation comes from, from within us. There's something there. And that's why it's so important to think to yourself, what is it that tempts me? When I'm in this situation, this trial, this moment of testing, what is it that I think is valuable and worth it? What is it that, that I see? And I mentioned last week, uh, I can walk into a casino. I'm not tempted in the slightest. Not tempted in the slightest. That's me. But some other people, when they're in that situation, they shouldn't be in that situation because they're tempted. They struggle with that. This idea of each one is tempted when he's lured. Mark Twain said, Do not bite the bait of pleasure till you know there's not a hook inside. That's a great quote. Then he goes on from lured, it's a hunting term, then to enticed. That has the idea of something external. So the lure is internal, the entice is external. It has the idea of something that I want, something that I need. And this is the point. That want, that need. Does it eclipse God? In other words, has God said, you shouldn't want it. You don't need it. Because that's at the rub. That's where it happens. For some people, it's food. They get around, oh, I just want that and I want that. Whoa, wait a minute. That's, if that's your temptation, do you really need that? Do you really? And at that point, you repent. You know, no, no. I've, God has provided for me all that I need. I'm good. Push away. That's where discipline comes in. But that idea of enticed is interesting because that idea reminded me of a story I read one time, National Geographic. There's a spider in the Amazon. Fantastic. Underneath the belly of the spider, it looks like a flower. How does the spider hunt? He walks up to a stump or on some branch and he rolls over and he opens up. And a bug lands thinking... It's time to eat. Oh, it's time to eat, all right. Just not for you. And that thing just closes up. Eats its victim. There's something, I interpreted trout, now I'm going to interpret an insect. Something about that insect said, that's good stuff. It was enticed. That's what he said here. Seneca, a Roman politician who lived four years before Christ, said, pleasure is the bait of sin. Now watch. That's what happens. The Lord inside, outside enticed. Look at verse 15. Everybody walks this path in life. This is where we're going to see the source. We want to know how it works. This is how every temptation you face. When you're in a situation, this is what you've gone through. It could happen like this, or it could be over a period of time. But everybody travels this path in verse 10. Desire when it is conceived. The word conceived there is literally impregnated. It's the idea that you get some thought in your mind because you've been lured, you've been enticed. Desires conceives, gives birth to sin. So James is looking for an analogy, a metaphor, in which he could explain this, and he takes the idea of birth. It's a great idea. We know it to be nine months long, give or take. But he traffics in it the idea 
is impregnated, and then there comes times of a birth takes place. In other words, what was in someone becomes what is outside. In other words, activity, the action, the follow-through. Don't covet. You know that to be true. You see the Corvette. You see the Lamborghini. But then all of a sudden, your, your mind, what can I do to get that? And you start seeing your life, your joy in that thing. You go into the office. I know I struggle about talking with people. Don't talk about the. Then something comes in your mind. Can you believe it that they said that? It becomes visible. The temptation, sexual temptation in your mind. You see somebody's attractive. Then you start mentally manipulating. You see how it works. Desire conceives and it gives birth to something. And then he says, and it's fully grown. It brings forth death. It's not talking about that you're going to die in that moment. But what he's doing is he's running the tape forward. That if you give in, you're in a situation of trial, circumstance, to find out what's in you. And if you, you're lured and enticed and you let that continually happen, not believing God, not seeing your joy in Christ, but seeing your joy in something else, seeing your life in something else, this is where that path leads. There's a bomb under your driveway. You really, when the pressure's applied, if you don't deal with this, you put enough pressure pressure on that, it's going to blow up. You see, you can't flirt with it. You can't play with it in your mind. The enemy is incredibly tricky. Social media is now living at that level, isn't it? It's that minefield. He knows. If I can get in people's minds, twist their desires. I can own them. I can bring them to death. It's interesting that you'll never find in the Bible and you'll never find in your life that this process is not the process that takes place. This is unique and specific to humanness. So we know what the source, but we must recognize this is how it works. Very quickly, let's see this two examples. Turn over to Genesis chapter 3. 1 through 7. And you can study these passages later. Encourage you men, take your families through this as it relates to these examples. Uh, well-known passage, uh, verse 1 talks about the serpent, serpent being more crafty than any of the beast that the Lord God had made. Then he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now that's interesting. It has the idea of questioning God. Questioning the goodness of God. A temptation always starts there. Uh, the idea that when you see something, you think your life is better if you have it. And particularly if God says, don't, you start to wonder, why does he say that? You see, the enemy knows people. Just think about this. The enemy, the tempter, he actually has been working with humans right from the beginning. He knows you. He knows us. He knows what that wedge needs to look like. If you start questioning the goodness of God, you're halfway home. God's not really for you. He's against you. If you're dabbling in that arena here today, I'll just tell you something. You're swimming with the sharks. You're swimming with the sharks. And that idea of insulating yourself, you had better start pouring truth in. Because if you think that God is against you or he doesn't have your best in mind, 
Oh boy, you're in trouble. Goes forward here, he says, uh, verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. And then notice that, neither shall you touch it. Wow, that's interesting. God never said that. God never said that. So notice the reaction to, is God really good? Yeah, he's good. And then you add things. He's good in this way. If I do this and do this and perform this way and I do this, you see how that is? He's just twisting. It's kind of like a zone defense in basketball. Someone's playing a zone, move the ball around so it stretches the zone out of shape so you're able to score the hoop. That's what he's doing here. He said, verse 4, But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Wow, like God. Who wouldn't want to be like God? That's awesome. Really? I'll be like God? Notice the, the trigger there. Notice the, what do you want? Your life will be better. You'll be the creator, not the creation. He's holding out on you. It's trafficking on. I don't know what you might have put down or thought about what it is you struggle with. But that's underneath it. That's underneath the activities, how you see God. What are you going to get out of it? He's holding back on you. It's like parenting. If parents just give rules, this and this and this and this, and the kid doesn't buy into the principle underneath it, they step out one night and skip curfew and they have a blast. Now they start wondering if the parents have told them a lot of rules that they holding them from having fun. You've got to get underneath it. The enemy's aiming at this. Verse 6, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise. Wow! We've got it all here. Lured, enticed, impregnated, conceived. It's all right there. Saw the tree was good for food, delight to the eyes, desire to make one wise. We've got all of it. The enemy's fishing, lures in the water. The bug is saying, what do I get out of it? Wise. That's good stuff. She took the fruit and ate. She gave some to her husband who was with her. He ate and both of their eyes were open. They knew they were naked and sewed fig trees, fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. In other words, everything changed. From that moment on, everybody who's born after, we're born in sin. Meaning that we are not as bad as we could be, but we're all inclined to trust ourselves. That's just the way it is. And so from that moment on is, how do we get back to the place where we trust the creator and recognize we're the creation? He's not the tempter. He's not the source. That There's a process that happens, the Lord and the Tice, that happens in us, and when that, in, that desire conceives, we've got to cut it off right there. When you get that money, cut it off. You could even say abort it. That's the idea. She didn't led to sin. One other example, our time is drawing to a close. 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 5. Again, obvious passage you've heard before. Uh, David is supposed to be out with other kings... Uh, in the springtime, he's supposed to be out in battle. He's not. Wrong place. Could be that he knew somebody who was very attractive, was below his home. And by the way, those of you going to with us 
to Israel in November, you'll stand in this specific location in which he would have been looking down. That was a commercial. Uh, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and he was walking on the roof of his house, king's house. Verse 2, the end of a Second Samuel 11. He saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. Do you see what happens here? Lord enticed, desire conceives. Boom, right there in the moment. What do you do, David? At this point, James would be screaming from his rooftop. Abort. Get out. Don't do it. Get accountability. God has given you everything you need, David. You don't need that. Your joy is in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, David. He said, no, I need something else. David sent and inquired of the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Oh, it's clear. She's married. Clear. Verse 4, so David sent messages and took her. She came to him and they, he lay with her. It, it's, this is James. Traffic right across here. It's right where it is. That desire was in his mind. He didn't abort the desire, that impregnated desire. Gives birth to sin. And that sin, we know it actually caused the death of some people. Matter of fact, Uriah died. You know, we don't sometimes see the collateral damage of that stuff. You know, pornography, that ah, doesn't hurt anybody. Really? Have you ever read about people that are trafficked because of that? Well, not me. Well, that whole industry, when you prop that up, you just, you're throwing logs on the fire. You're part of the problem. We think people don't die. Uriah died. Men who were with him died. The baby died. At one point, I tracked in my mind's eye as it relates to who was in the army, who was around him at that time, there could have been 150 people that died because of this. Your actions affect other people. That whole idea, it's not hurting anybody. Oh, that's just absolutely wrong. It's just simply not true. And the reason why people say that is is because they want what they want and they want it now. We must recognize this. Quickly as we finish, uh, verse 16, the subtlety of temptation. So we saw when we started out here that initial idea of the source of temptation, now the subtlety of temptation. It says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Now, subtlety of temptation, there's not a lot of words there for a point in verse 16. I think he says that because we, uh, we can know this truth, everything we just talked about, and we can go, but I'm different. It's not true. Some people go, yeah, but your interpretation's off. I think it's okay for us to believe this. Uh, don't be deceived. That word there has the idea of led astray or cause to wander away. Like a voice on the other side of a field saying, yeah, but I don't think God's like that. I think he's like this. I, want, I think he wants you to be fulfilled in life. I think he wants you to be loved. And in that relationship, you're not being loved by your husband and wife. And you are deceived. You're led astray. Well, you don't understand that person, what they did to me. So I can be mean to them. I can be gossiping about don't be deceived you know immediately when you start thinking about that's for other people that's not for me that's deceived whether it's people using the bible in a different way or people making excuses and isn't that why we need the body of christ 
Isn't that why you need the people around you? The person, when that person's calling, hey, don't believe this for a moment. Uh, God isn't like that. Somebody next to you goes, hey, he's like that. Let me show you where. Remind you of what the truths of the Bible say. If you don't have those people, uh, you're swimming in waters again that you could be fish food. As the band is coming up, I, I just want to come back to those takeaways. I asked you certain questions at the beginning. We're thinking about how do we get our insulation built up. Where are you most often tempted to distrust the Lord? Why? Get that in your mind. Where is that? What is the pattern for the temptation you face? What's that trigger point that leads you down that road to not trust the Lord? What do you think giving into that temptation will provide? What is it that you think you gain and start prosecuting that? You know you don't gain. Why do you struggle to trust the Lord? And then how do you increase your faith? So the idea is, is if you're struggling with coveting, you pour in the knowledge of God's truth that he's provided everything you need. If you struggle with sexuality, what is it you're looking at? What are you engaging in? You push that away. You play defense and then you play offense, believing that God has your best in mind. So you trust him, whether you're single that God will provide somebody for you, whether you're married, that God has provided, and maybe you need to communicate more. There's a lot of ways to get around it, but you've got to build yourself up with the character of God so that when you're tempted to not believe God, you believe him in what area you struggle in. And that's where the truth of God's word comes in because we never sin when we trust God. So you've got to know him better. You trust people you know. You don't trust strangers. So you have to be in the word. Next week, we're going to talk about three particular areas. Control, comfort, and approval. Those three things, we're going to see how this temptation works in those three areas. And every one of us face it. Matter of fact, Christ faced it. And we're going to look at specifically how he dealt with it. But we need to know where it comes from. We need to know the process of which it travels, how it works. I need you to do work. In between our time, I need you to walk through these five questions and examining your life. And next week, we're going to see how Jesus not only qualified to be our Savior, but how he's given you a path forward in trusting him to save you from temptations that you'll face. Will you pray with me? Lord, we're grateful for your kindness to us, your grace, in laying these things out before us. As a church, we recognize that we live in two dynamics, that we are saved, our sins are forgiven. If any is trusted here, trusted in you as their Savior, they are forgiven. If they have not, their sins remain. But if we have trusted in you, we're in you. Now, we're working out that identity of being in you in life. And that happens by trusting you more and more and more. So give us insight. Give us understanding. Would you give us clean hands and a pure heart that we'd resist the influence of this world, resist the enemy, even our own flesh? That we'd not be lured and enticed. But when we are, we see that. And we abort that desire that comes from within us. You are good and you are great. And we are thankful. Would you spread your fame through what we've talked about here and our testimony in our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.